0: Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way.
1: Will you join us as we sing a new name written down in glory, and it's mine, oh yes, it's mine. I was once a sinner, but I came Pardon to receive from my Lord. This was freely given and I found That he always kept his word. There's a new name written down in glory And it's mine, oh yes it's mine. And the white-robed angels sing the story A sinner has come home. It's mine, oh yes it's mine, with my sins forgiven I am bound for. With my sins forgiven, I am bound for heaven. lord we ask that you'd be with this service father be with brother jason in a moment of time as he comes to deliver the gospel message father may it be preached with fervor and a mighty impact on this congregation lord go with us now keep us safe it's these things we ask in your son's holy name amen As we continue to worship majesty, worship his majesty. You.
0: Forgiven at the cross. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 21, will be primarily in verses 15 through 19. This evening, but we will also back up and and catch something in verse 9. So, John chapter 21, verse 9, and then verses 15 through 19. Then, this morning, we looked at the failures of Peter. We looked at the failures of Peter, we looked at the grace of God in spite of those failures, we looked to the idea that there are similarities between Peter and his denial, Peter and his betrayal of Christ, and our own denial, our own betrayal of Christ with our sin in our lives. That each and every time uh, we fall into our sin, that we, we go that way, we deny Christ when we do that. We, we literally deny knowing Him. We remove ourselves from our obedience of Him. And so knowing Christ, what we were going to be looking at this morning, it felt uh, all week long, I felt led to, to preach these particular verses uh, on, in the evening sermon uh, to kind of follow up. I didn't, want to leave, I didn't want to leave it where it was at with our story of Simon Peter. Now, I actually preached these verses just a little over a year ago, and I typically try not to uh, preach a text until there's been a little more time. I typically try to wait at least two years. Uh, Some of you probably don't know, which means that you didn't remember it the first time I preached it. So I didn't do a good enough job for it to matter. And so we'll see if any of you remember any of the things tonight. It's not the, the same sermon by any stretch. It comes from a different direction. But it is the same text that I already preached Uh, A little over a year ago, but I really, really felt compelled that we needed to dive a little further into the restoration of Peter. We needed to see uh, kind of the other side of what happens uh, once they meet in Galilee. And so as we turn to John 21, we're talking about a section of Scripture that's typically labeled the restoration of Peter in most of your Bible subheadings. And we get an image here of anyone who has experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ, uh, we have experienced the same freedom from bondage that Peter is going to receive in this passage. We've received uh, the same... A kind of restoration from what we were that Peter receives in this passage. This, this freedom that is beyond all of our explanations and, and to be so cherished and so desired and so looked upon. And in this life, we're, we're basically, we're not basically, we are. We're, we're living one of two ways. We're either living a life that's been restored or we're living a life in sin. That's the only two ways that we're living. And so if if we are living a life that's been restored, a life that's been redeemed as a people that have been saved by God, uh, all of us can say that we've experienced seasons where we've been prone to wander and we've been restored. And my friends, if we've been restored, we've been restored for a purpose. Please stand if you're able as we read from the Gospel of John in chapter 21 beginning in verse 9. Then, as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, fish laid on it, and bread. Now look forward to verse 15. And when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Then tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. God, we thank you. That we have this opportunity to be here in your house this evening. God, we thank you for your Spirit's presence among us this morning. And we thank you for your Spirit's presence as we have sung songs this evening. God, we pray your blessing on the reading and the teaching of your holy word. God, that it would magnify you. And that it would minimize us. God, you would convict us. That you would call us. And that you would help us to recognize that we have been restored for a purpose, Lord. We will give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all you do among us this evening. And it's in your precious name that we pray. As all God's children said, amen, you may be seated. The first thing I want us to look at this evening, kind of comes from verse 9, and it's kind of an idea that I think we need to, to keep in the forefront and that's, there's kind of a reminder to us. It's kind of a, a reminder of the scene and that's really kind of what you get in verse 9. It's kind of a reminder for Peter as if he needed one, right? As if he wasn't overcome with guilt, right? The last thing we really saw from Peter is that he had wept bitterly after denying Christ, after looking upon Jesus, after hearing the rooster crow for the, for the second time. He, he, he wept bitterly, and he took off. And here he is, uh, sitting by the sea, and, and there's a fire, and Jesus is there. Now, there's a specific kind of fire. If you'll look, it says, as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there. Now, here's why that matters. There's only one other place in Scripture where they give a specific description of this kind of fire. A fire of coal. A coal fire. And the only other place in Scripture that that exact language is given is in John chapter 18, verse 18, when they're telling the same story that we were studying this morning. You remember the fire that Peter was warming his hands on at the court of the high priest? It was a fire of coals. It's the only two places in Scripture where we get that specific use of that word to describe that fire. And I believe that Peter, sitting by that fire, seeing Jesus again, would have immediately went back to that moment, wouldn't he? Have you ever sat by a fire made of charcoal? It's got a certain smell, doesn't it? It's got a certain feel, it's got a certain sound as it crackles. And here is Peter gathering back with Jesus. After Jesus, who has died, Jesus has resurrected. And here he is face to face as his nostrils fill with that smell. And he looks at the face of Jesus, and I can't help but think that immediately he goes back to the last time he smelled that smell. The last time that he felt that glow the last time that he was there and he's reminded of his sin and Jesus begins to quiz him doesn't he do you love me three times he asked him do you love me three times I don't believe there's any coincidence that there were three questions of Jesus and there were three denials of Peter and here's Peter you can almost smell that fire can't you I believe Peter had a ton of emotions at play in this scene that is here. But one is that remembrance of what he had done. He had that, that constant reminder of how he had betrayed Jesus and how he had failed Jesus. And you know, I think for some of us, we tend to forget, don't we? We tend to forget that before we were restored by Christ, we were in a place where sin was rampant in our lives. Now sure, I know we still slip into those seasons of sin, but you know what I'm talking about. That time before you came to realize that you were a sinner and that you were headed for hell and that there was a Savior that was there for you and He was there to save you, that time before you turned to Jesus Christ as your Savior... And for some of us who have been saved for some time, we, we start to forget that feeling, don't we? We start to forget that emotion, don't we? We start to forget that one day we were lost in our transgressions. And you know the problem with forgetting that is if you can't remember how lost you were, you can't appreciate how saved you are. Right. If you can't remember how doomed for hell and hopeless you were, you can't recognize how amazing the grace of Jesus Christ is. I believe we would do well to remember where we were before Jesus on occasion. Because I think if we would just remember how lost we were, we might be more inclined to share Jesus with those who are lost now. You know, I lived a large portion of my life religious and doomed. I'd grown up in a good Baptist church most of my life. I'd said a prayer with a well-intentioned preacher at the age of seven under the question... If you don't want to go to hell, raise your hand. Well, I was just smart enough at seven to know that I didn't want to go to hell. And Mom and Daddy celebrated, and they wrote Granny and Papa, and Grandmother and papa came to town, and they saw me go in the water, a wet seven-year-old sinner, and come out of the water, excuse me, a dry seven-year-old sinner, and come out of the water, a wet seven-year-old sinner. But then, some 20 years later, nearly 15 years later, I was serving in a local church, and there was a young man there who took some young men and women on a mission trip. And I thought he was the strangest guy in the world because he had funny hair. He looked like Bob Ross, the old painter on Channel 8. He was a strange dude. He didn't do the things I did when, when I was his age. He didn't live his life the way I did when, he, when I was his age. And I thought, man, there's something wrong with this dude. But come to find out, there was, there was something right about that dude. He knew Jesus. And I watched as he poured into the children of that church. I watched as one by one, they came and gave their lives to the Lord. And I watched as I stood back and said, I don't, I don't have what they've got. I never had it. And at that point, I realized how lost I was. 20 years, I taught Sunday school classes. I taught youth classes. I led lock-ins, and I did them well. Well, two of the people who I taught are here this evening. They might argue that point of how well I did it, but I prepared. I knew the Bible. I was smart. I could study, I could present a lesson, but I was going to hell. And all I have to do when I start to feel an inclination to stop sharing Jesus is remember that I grew up in church and I was still unsaved. What about those that have never been to church? What about those that I come in contact with at the Starbucks or at the church's chicken on the corner? What about the people that are around there? And when I remember how lost I was, I am much more inclined to say, Do you know Jesus? It's a scary question. Because you're going to get an answer one way or the other. Do you know Jesus? But what if you never ask it? What if nobody had ever asked it of me? Do you really know Jesus? See... I think we would do well to smell the fire every once in a while and remember, ooh, I'm not quite as holy as I thought I was. I need to be restored for a purpose. So there was a scene that that was a reminder for Peter, but then there's a question. There was a question that was raised to Peter in verses 15 through 17, we start to see these questions come up. They had eaten their breakfast, and Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. But he said a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. So Jesus says a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, Do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he'd asked a third time, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. What in the world's going on here? Did did Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection cause his hearing to fail? Did not Peter affirm that he loved Jesus when Jesus asked the question? Did not Peter say, yes, Jesus, you know that I love you? Yes, Jesus, I love you. And if so, then why was Peter so grieved by verse 17? Why was he answering with a grief of emotion in his heart? You know, the question, do you love me, is not incredibly difficult, is it? Do you love me? Boyfriends and girlfriends start asking it about three months after they get each other's phone numbers. Parents start asking their kids before their kids are old enough to talk. But there's a little more than meets the eye to Jesus' question to Peter. In verse 15, if you looked at the, you, you, you got to look back to the original translation to really get this. And I'm not going to spend too much time on the Greek with you. But you got you to get this to get this. And so I do want to share this with you. Verse 15, Jesus asked of Simon Peter. He says, if you look at the, the original text, it says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agapest me? Agape, it's a specific type of love that Jesus is asking Peter about. He's saying, Peter, do you totally, completely, with everything inside of you, with everything that you are, do you completely love me? Have you sold everything of yourself to sell out to loving me? Peter, are you completely mine? Verse 16, he asks it the same, same question. Peter, do you agape me? Then in verse 17, if you look at the original text, you'll see that Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileus me? Do you have a brotherly love? The kind of love that you might have for a friend here on this earth. The kind of love that you you gain in friendship, even kinship, perhaps even spending a lot of time with somebody. You would begin to have this kind of brotherly or friendship type of love. And so what changed between the first two times and the last time that caused Jesus to kind of go in that order of of the questions? And I believe the answer lies in Peter's responses to Jesus' questions. Verse 15, Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Jesus says, do you have a complete and total love for me, that you would leave everything else and love only me and serve only me. And, and Peter says, Jesus, I love you like a brother. So Jesus says a second time, Peter, do you completely love me as your Lord and Master? And Peter has to answer, Lord, you know, I love you like a brother see, in the English language, it all looks the same, doesn't it? It looks like you get a regular question and a regular confirmation. But when you look at the original text, you find out that, that Peter says, you know what? I can't affirm what you're asking me, Jesus. If I'm being honest, I have to say, I don't know that I, I, don't know that I love you that way, Jesus. Then the third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me like a brother? Doesn't even ask him, Do you love me like a Lord? So, do you love me like a brother? And Peter, that's why he's grieved when he answers, because he knows this is the only question he's been asked that he can confirm. And he says, Lord, you know all things. And you know I love you as a brother. You know the old Peter. He may have been inclined to be a little different. You remember how proud he was this morning? He's like that, like that banny rooster wandering around in the chicken coop, right? Anybody ever seen a banny rooster? I used to have chickens. Those of you that have never seen a banny rooster. A regular rooster is about this yonder tall and a banny rooster's about that big. But don't tell him he don't know it. And that Banny rooster will walk around with that chest just stuck out, just strutting all through that chicken yard, everywhere he goes. And the thing is, is generally the big rooster don't pick on him because he's little. But every once in a while, that little Banny rooster will do a little too much, and that big one will kind of smack him in place. You know what I mean? So Peter this morning was kind of like that Banny rooster strutting through the hen house, wasn't he? I'm the man. Jesus, you're going to let Satan sift me like wheat. That's all right. I'm ready to go. Got this. Both. By the end, he weeps bitterly. I believe that brought Peter down a notch, don't you? So that when he's asked this question at his restoration, he has to answer it honestly. Because the old Peter, when Jesus said, Peter, do you love me totally? Do you love me completely? Am I your master? Am I your commander? Am I your Lord? Peter would have said, I'm your man, Jesus, I'm your man. I love you with all I am and all I'll ever be. But Peter, on the other side of the denial, said, Jesus, i got to be honest with you. I've only now learned to love you as a brother, but I'd like more. I'd like to be sold out to you, Jesus. I'm just not there yet. It grieved Peter to think of his sin. It grieved Peter that to be honest with Jesus, he had to answer in this way, that it took three times of essentially asking the same question before Peter could give a truthful answer. Folks, we not only need to not lose sight of who we were before Jesus, but we got to ask ourselves this same question. Do we love him completely? Is he the Lord of our lives totally? Can we say that we have committed to him no matter the cost? Our love and our affection for Christ should be deeper and stronger And more intense and more passionate than any other love we have on this earth. You should love Christ more than you love your spouse. More than you love your parents. More than you love your children. Jesus should be the central object of all of your affection. In fact, if he's not the center of all of your affection, you're not capable of loving your spouse the way you're supposed to. You're not capable of loving your children the way that you ought And you're not capable of loving your parents the way that you should. So there's a scene that we need to remember. We need to remember how lost we were. There's a question that we need to raise. Do we love him? Do we love Jesus fully? And finally, there's a recognition of the reason for our restoration. As we look at each time Jesus quizzes Peter here, he concludes each time before he goes into the next question with a statement. First time he says, tend, my, excuse me, feed my lambs. Second time, tend my sheep. Right? He, he, he begins to, to kind of go through and he says, Gee, I got something for you to do, Peter. And it kind of ascends each time. And I think this is interesting. It's a similar statement, but it's a little bit different. He says, I need you to watch after my lambs. That's the first thing he says, right, in verse 15. He says, feed my lambs. And that word there literally means baby sheep, the, the baby lambs. He says, Peter, if you love me, then you need to take care of new believers. You need to go out and you need to evangelize. And when someone comes to Christ, you need to be tending to them and lifting them up and watching over them. Those who are new followers of me need someone to give them care. And essentially says, Peter, if you love me, if you love me, you'll be watching out for those who are new in the faith. The second time he says, I need you to tend to my sheep. Now, this is the mature sheep, those who are grown from the lamb stage. They need a completely different kind of care. And he says, listen, Peter, in addition to the new believers, there are going to be people who have, who have been in the faith for some time. And listen, you're going to need to, to watch after them and care for them and lead them in a totally different way. Because there are going to be wolves that come in and wish to flush them, and wolves that wish to come in and lead them in a different path. And your responsibility is going to be able to to protect them and lead them and and be there for them. That word there used for tend is the same word used for shepherd when we talk about pastors in Paul's letters to Timothy. So this is you're going to shepherd them, you're going to be with the herd. And then finally he says, Peter, you're also going to feed my sheep. Different word from tend. He says in addition to leading the flock, it's going to be your responsibility to feed the flock. Even the maturest among us need to eat, don't we? Even the maturest among us need to eat. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I'm restoring you. You're going to fulfill the name that I gave you. You're the rock on which I'm going to build my church. And one of your responsibilities is going to be to feed the believers. What do we do when we come to church? We eat. Right? Right? One of my primary responsibilities as a pastor is to make sure that when you come into the house of the Lord, you eat. Because if the pastor quits feeding, then the flock falls away. You can be the best attending to the needs of everyone And not feed them from the pulpit and the flock still go away. You can be the best at feeding from the pulpit and not tend. And the flock will fall away. And So while Jesus was preaching primarily to Peter here. He was primarily speaking to him. I've got news for you. We were all saved for a purpose. We've all been restored for a purpose. That means... Believe it or not, the primary responsibility of feeding and tending to one another doesn't always fall squarely on the pastor's shoulders. Doesn't always land squarely in the deacon's laps. It is all of our collective responsibilities to watch out for one another. That's why we assemble together. Right When Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling together, he doesn't say it for no reason. He says, because we're to admonish and lift one another up. There's a reason why we gather together. There's a reason why we lean on one another. If you've been saved, you have been saved for a purpose and that purpose is to edify the kingdom of God. And if you are tied into a local fellowship, you are tied into that fellowship for a reason. That is because there is someone there that you should be discipling and there's someone there that you should be discipled by. There is not one of us that has arrived just yet. Not one of us that is so mature that we don't need to be discipled. And there is not one of us that is incapable of discipling somebody else. I have learned more in conversations with people that have come and said, Brother Jason, can we meet every couple weeks and talk about this or this? I I just want you to meet with me, you know, maybe once every two weeks. And in the process of trying to disciple that person, I have learned so much and had so much revealed to me. Christian, you should be poured into somebody. And you should be being poured into by someone. Because if you've been restored, you've been restored for a purpose. Let's pray. Father God, God, we come to you this evening. God, we thank you for your word. That we can look this morning at a passage that shows Peter in his lowest point. In a season of denial and betrayal where he would think he was unusable. That his time had come, that his ship had sailed and he was no longer useful to the kingdom. But God, that we can look this evening at your word. And we can see that you had a bigger plan for Peter. That even while you knew his failures, your grace was so mighty that you said, I have a plan for you, Peter. In spite of all your failures, Peter, I'll still build the church on you. And that, God, we can draw from that truth that we have a responsibility to each other if we've been saved by your grace we have been saved to love and to serve and to teach and to admonish one another that we might build one another up so that we cannot be torn down God help us to be a church that recognizes that we are restored for your purpose Lord